Welcome to Hash Time with Navguzi Chuanuka. This is a place where we help you unravel social constructs, discuss self-development in line with mental health, emotional well-being, and everything in between that directly or indirectly affects us in the millennial world around us. If you're hearing my voice for the first time and are the kind of person who is not scared of being a better version of yourself even if it requires you to contradict who you were 24 hours ago, consider this your virtual home. I'm your host, Navguzi Chuanuka, and I cannot wait to engage with you in the various conversations. In this episode, the very last one of season three, we traveled all the way to Iowa to have a chat with Cheta Ibokwe. Cheta is an award-winning Nigerian playwright, and in our conversation, he highlights the emotional value of having friends who still hear you when words fail. The episode is a reflection of how possible it is for both grief and gratitude to coexist. If anything resonates with you during our conversation, remember to share with us on social media with the hashtag HTNK in session. Let's get into it. Cheta, welcome to Hashtag We Love Guzichuanuka. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, and I'm seeing you for the first time. The pictures yeah. aren't, aren't doing you justice. You should start sharing videos only. <laughs> Really? We should focus on videos. The videos <laughs> really? <laughs> well, um, I'm not a picture type. I take pictures occasionally. I think even I, I, I need to have friends <laughs> before I can be able to take them. But I know, but I do take pictures of others. I document a lot of pictures. Yeah, like, yeah. In my phone, you see the pictures of my parents, my siblings. And um, when I was in high school, I had a camera. You know, it's a boarding school. And then there was no access to photography. And somehow I saw that lack. And I saw that um, students need to document some of their important days. And I came back with the camera. And I was taking those pictures. And whenever we have opportunity to go outside, I go and print those pictures and come back. They come and pay a hundred naira. They will give me. I mean, it's a result of making money. But business I realized, acumen. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And the pictures we are putting out fine. I don't know how it was happening. I don't. I don't think it's a special. <laughs> and then I had these students who also went and bought the camera because of the ID. And people will still turn to me and say, "We want yours." So, but what I'm saying is that I discovered that in doing that, I forgot to get someone to take my own pictures. Oh. I was so drowned that of others <laughs> that I have very few pictures from my high school. So how old is the picture that yeah. you have on your profile on uh, Facebook? I think it was taken in um, 2021. That was um, after our last exam at the University of Nigeria. We had this um, celebration, a faculty of art students together to say let us put a celebration together because how it happens is that um, different departments in the university organize their own events and we said it's time for these different departments the final year set of different departments to come together to have one event mm-hmm. so it's the first time in a long while so that was around the middle of um, june right. last year no, that's not so yeah. far it's not so far so, looks like a lot has changed a lot has changed <laughs> Um, a lot has changed in the last in the last three months, even. Yeah, but yeah, but that's that's the interesting thing about life. Something keeps changing. I mean, I mean, I look, I keep looking at that picture and I said, "Boy, you had no problem here." Ooh. Yes, at that time, my father was still at home. He wasn't dead yet. At that time, my mother was still at home. She wasn't dead yet. And at that time, also, I felt I had my issues. I felt I had my problems. And I look back to those pictures taken before October last year. And I said, boy, you thought you had problems here. You had no problem. 
your, yeah, your problem started in October. So, I mean, going back to OB just makes me feel like, wow, how does it look like to have everyone in your family complete? Mm-hmm. Yes. So, yes, I come back to those times and I, it, it just makes me to keep on doing the comparison. I'll be honest, I say, my father and my mother, they were alive here. My parents, they have already gone here. So, I mean, this is now just, this is not just like, just, you know, you know that, you know what, she, you know, Volta, something Shakespeare calls Volta, a dramatic change. When you're reading it, it. So, there's this dramatic change, you know. So, that is now, that is how I now compare my pictures. That's yes. how you look at the pictures yes. now. Hey, that's, that's, that's huge. That, that is how I look at it, yeah. And now we're looking yeah. at, we're, you're talking about your problem starting in October. This is, and yet <laughs> you're... <laughs> Don't laugh. <laughs> We're looking at you talking about your current profile picture having taken in June. That is like a year yes. and uh, five months from then. Yeah. And you're talking about both parents. Is this you saying that you lost your parents in 15 months? Not even 15 months. Yeah, in 15 months. Okay, yeah. In three months. I lost both parents in three months. My father died on October 28, 2021. He was buried on December 22, 2021. December? Yes, 22nd, 2021. And my mother died on 29 January, 2022, a month after my father's funeral. So from October to January is three months. I lost them in three months. I'm so sorry about that. That's a lot of loss. Yes. Yes. Um, that's a lot of loss. And um, when I say my problem started in October... I realized that the loss is the real problem. But then the fear of the loss has been what has been taken over me since 2018. The day I returned from the University of Nigeria to my house for a break and saw my mother looking so down, Mm -hmm. having lost so much weight. And I said, what the hell is this? And she said, I'm even getting better. What if you saw me two weeks ago? But that's the language of someone who is giving herself hope. Right. It's not as if that yeah, it's not as if there has been there has been progress in the last two weeks. But she has this way of telling people who come to see her that she's even getting better. But I see and everyone sees that there was no progress, at least within the next six months. So the fear, the fear of losing them, because my mother was diagnosed of um, hypertensive heart disease and um, it has been happening for a long time. I mean when she was 20, 30 years, um, she already had high blood pressure. She died at 61, but at 30 years old, she already had high blood pressure. She was already taking medication for that. And this is like something that um, has taken a long time and then has come to this point that it has developed another serious problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then my father, on his own part, was diabetic. Wow. All right? Yeah, and it was weighing on him. But then, the good thing is that they are assessing medical care. They go for health checkups, all right? Doctors see them, give them medications, and they observe that as a ritual. Because, of course, the children are there to make sure that they do this. And they themselves, my mom herself, knows that this is important, all right? So, my father takes his drugs, my mother takes hers too. And um, whenever I'm in school and I get a call, a call from anyone, I just my mind just, just goes off. Because I know the condition at home. Right. Yeah, and then it was a sort of worry. I mean, I, I prefer not having a call from home because when you come, I will say, "What is wrong? What is wrong?" I mean, I, I'm interested in knowing, you know, that immediate response about how is mom, how is dad, 
And when you say they are fine, I'll breathe in and then I'll start listening to why you're calling. When you would get called, it would be more like make it make it quick. I, I know what I I know what you're coming with. Just just don't waste time. Yeah. How long yeah. was that? How many years? So, are we looking from 2018 that you had mentioned? Yeah. Three years. Yes. Yeah. 2018. I mean, 2018 because that was a, that was the time the big illness. My mother's big illness was named the hypertensive heart disease. But she has she has always had the high blood pressure before I was born, and I know the situations that one leads to. Sometimes it gets so high and she's admitted in the hospital, mm. right? And then sometimes it also gets so low. I mean, just switching on and off, right? And sometimes you will hear that my father had a high sugar level. Oh, my dear. All right? So there are, there are so many episodes that have been happening before 2018 that, that I mean, all my life is as if I have lived with the fear of losing them. And I didn't realize the damage it was doing to me. You know, <laughs> when I was young, something happened. I mean... There is this um, there is this pharmacy. Mm-hmm. Whenever I come there, the the nurse will say, "Have you come to buy this medication?" Because she already knows that I'm coming to buy my mother's BP drug. So it's and then sometimes when the the nurse's daughter is there, when I come, she will start getting that particular medication out. They don't have to wait for you to say anything. Yeah, because she knows. But I time I want to open my mouth and say, she will say, "I have it here." <laughs> and then. As a joke, she will now start calling me by that name. No way. <laughs> as a joke, as fun. Yeah, as, as fun, you know. you know. So, I mean, this is to show you how fight has gone. And as the youngest, I don't know if if being the youngest is the reason why why that, that fear was so much. Mm-hmm. I was the youngest and the closest to them. And I'm wondering, how would life be without them? And on the morning of 28th October, when my father died, my mother said, Jetta, stop crying. Your father has tried. I am with you. But this person doesn't know that she has less than 90 days to live. When she told you that she is with you, what could have registered in your mind? Did you feel like, man, you? I'm sure you're about to leave as well. I don't think you're really with me. Did that ever occur to you in no. that moment? No, no, no. Because um, my mother has survived near-death experiences, all right? So... Even in the midst of the fear that um, her health condition is um, critical, right? There is also that hope that she will keep surviving all those experiences. Because you're used to that. Yeah. So when I lost my father, um, I know that my mother is sick. But, I mean, when I say sick, I, I don't mean that she is down in a particular place. Mm-hmm. Right? She can go to church. She can dress up and say, let me go and visit this person. All right? Mm-hmm. 2018, when she had the diagnosis of the heart failure, she lost so much weight. But over time, she regained her weight back. So she became like a normal person. But then we know her health condition. So at that point, it didn't occur to me that this woman was going. I mean, it would have been a very, it would have been a, it wouldn't have occurred to me because um, you can't take two strong people in the family away. All right? It would, it would be a bad script for any writer to write that when this man goes, a month after his funeral, his wife will go. Mm-hmm. Any writer who writes that is a wicked writer. So it never occurred to me that she was going to go. <laughs> no. Yeah. Any writer that writes that is a wicked writer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That would be so wicked to take up um, the life of two key characters mm-hmm. in a story. At the same time. Yeah. When, when I was talking to Bura, he had mentioned that yes. it was in a space of a year. And I had already told him that 
oh my goodness, that is a lot of loss. And now you're throwing <laughs> it to me. It is three months and I'm like, at what point does someone rest? Yes. Because I imagine you're still processing the loss of your dad. He's gone. You're not going to see him yes. anymore. Yep. And probably yes. trying to figure out the best ways of being supportive of your mom. And then... Yes. What could have happened in your mind at that time when mom is now gone? Yes, I was I was in the hospital with her. I mean, let me, let me say this clearly, that um, part of the consolation is that she was taken to a very good hospital. Mm-hmm. Right? I was there present. I saw things happening. I saw them... When she lost consciousness, I watched them reinstate her. I saw professionalism in a way that I haven't seen in any Nigerian hospital. And I was telling a friend that even though my mother my mother died in this hospital, I can recommend someone to go to that hospital. It's no worry. The name is Region Stroke and Neuroscience Hospital, Mbirichi. So she was reinstated. And they called me to say, come and see your mom. And I came there and she said, Jetta, Orgeni, what is happening? Organic means what is happening in Ibo. This shows that she is with her senses. Having been reinstated, she is with her senses. Organic, what is happening? I told her, calm down. And she said, this clothes she's wearing is not hers. Because the hospital had, had at this time, they have put on a white cloth on her. You know, you know the, the demands they put for, for patients. And I laughed. And I said, well, I have your clothes. So now I put on this. Mm-hmm. She said, look. So, I mean... It's just the sign that um, she knows what she's doing at that point that she was reinstated, right? And then they, they advised that she was going to go for dialysis, a kidney dialysis. It's part of what the, what of the new things they said that has to happen, okay? The dialysis happened, and um, they now said it's time to take her to the intensive care unit. In the care unit, um, relatives are not allowed in. It's just the patients and the doctors. But at this time, I had already sent a video of her asking me, Orgeni, what is it? Talking about the clothes she's wearing to my family. And there was a big relief. Oh, you had recorded you know, this that? Was, this was, yeah, I recorded that and sent my family. So, I mean, this was like, you know, in literature, in, <laughs> there is that point you would think you have arrived. Somehow, in some literary patterns, you would think that there is that point. That, that point you think, that point you think that things like he has arrived. I really thought I had arrived because I was so convinced that at this point of reinstating this woman who has been unconscious for some hours, this is recovery. Mm. So everyone was at home thanking God on the family group. And then I was now told, look, you can't go home this night. We have a guest house here in the hospital. You can go and check in there. I was now in the guest house by one. And I got a call from the doctor. Hello, Jetta. She had a cardiac arrest. And I said, uh-huh. what about that? Mm-hmm. I said, I'm sorry we lost her. What do you mean? Don't you know what to do when a patient is having a cardiac arrest? Apparently, they have been doing that in the last one hour, trying to reinstate her at the time of having a cardiac arrest. I'm not a medical student. I don't know how long it lasts. Mm-hmm. Neither am but, I. I wouldn't have an idea. Yeah. But that call came at the time. They couldn't do anything again. I was very mad. It's unbelievable. I I began to scream. It was 1 p.m. I wanted to leave my hotel room to run to that to the place, the ICU. And they said, the dog is outside. Don't come out. The dog is outside. I said, I don't care about your dog. I ran out. I want to see her. I want to see her. I want to see her. If I go to where she is and call her name, she knows my voice. She will answer. She would wake up. Right. I told the doctor. 
Yes. She said, okay, wait. We will call you to come and see her. For now, just go to your room. They got a nurse who escorted me to my room, but it didn't come easy. Agreeing to go back to my room wasn't an easy job. So I was now there until now called me back to... Apparently, at this time, they have, they, are, they, are, they have taken the dog away. So they called me, and then I was shown where she was. She was gone. Yeah. I'm very sorry that you had to experience that kind of loss. I mean, one minute you have hope and then it's just snatched away. In your time when you're supposed to actually yes. be resting and feel like, oh, we survived yes. that. How do you deal with that? Yeah, Because now how many months are yes, we looking was, at? It's happened in January and we're in November now. That's like nine. Close to nine. We're about to make That's nine like months. Ten. That's like ten months. Mm-hmm. We are in November now, and um, you know, before she passed, I was looking forward to the next day to tell her about all the drama that happened the day before, because um, it's always um, it would be interesting to be the one to narrate that story to her to tell her that what was it like to be unconscious mm. <laughs> to hear those um, because I like to hear some details. I mean, it helps me as the writer to get some details that you know help my story. Questions that people don't normally ask, mm-hmm. or you know, things that that a reader will see in a walk and then to strike the person. What what does it seem like to be unconscious? Where does your mind go? Where were you? So I was looking forward to the next day to ask these questions and then get her funny answers because she's a very funny woman. So um, it's ten months, and the day she died, I had to I had to leave the house to run to Nsoka, where my friends were. Um, I didn't tell my family members where I was going to, and um, I only called them when I got to my destination because I, I didn't want anybody to discourage me. I was going to the house of my good friend um, and my other friends. We we live in a flat with different rooms, so it's easier to be with them, all right? And then I really wanted to be in a situation where I'm not going to be reminded about what has happened or what, or what is going on. Right. Because I noticed that by the, by the time I went home with, with my brothers, by the time my mother's corpse was now delivered to the morgue, and I went home, people were coming. The first person came, it was like, nah, give me give me, give me, give me means what happened, all right? Because, I mean, nobody was expecting that in the village. They saw my mother at my father's funeral. They saw my mother on 26 December when we went for the third Thanksgiving, all right? Mm. So it's as if we know she's sick, right? But we didn't know that it had gotten to the point that she would break down completely. Yeah, so it was like a shock. It was a sincere shock. But their sincere shock, sometimes, you know, um, they come and they would like you to tell them a story. So I began by telling one story. Another person came and I told another story. The third person came and I told, I said, what? Is this what I'm going to be in this house doing? I left. Right. I can't be here repeating this story till the time it will be for a funeral to happen. I left. And I went to Soka to be with my friends. And of course, there is sympathy. But they treated me in a way that, in a way that makes me not to feel what has happened. Mm-hmm. You know, it being a cycle where people are just discussing normal things. Oh, yeah? And then you discuss with them. Yeah, they don't make you feel like a very dangerous thing has happened. And I give that credit to my good friend. I want to mention his name now, Sage Liu. Yeah. yeah, I hope he's going to listen to this. Yes, he's a very, he's a very good friend. He 
he was telling me the things I needed to hear. He had the very right words to bring my, to make my senses intact. You know, when we talk about therapy, in, Af- in Africa, therapy is not organized in a way that you go to a therapist and then the therapist starts talking to you, right? We have them, though. Somehow, we have them, though, but, I mean, it's not common. Exactly. 25 years of my life in Nigeria, I had no experience of going to a therapist. And but um, had you heard I don't of know. Any? Yeah, it was not, I have not heard of any, but I have an appointment with one coming uh-huh. up next month. Uh-huh. Yeah, because somehow... I. Recently, when I went for my physical, I was talking to the doctor on different things, and he said, you need a therapist. I'm going to connect you to one. Is it? So my point, yeah, so my point is that I don't know of anyone who has gone to a therapist, like somebody I know, on a close range. Mm-hmm. All right? I don't know of any friend or any sibling who has had a, a, an official appointment with a therapist. So um, if people like, you know, it's something you read online that, you know, somebody is, uh, is undergoing, okay, I know one, I know one, I know one, but he's not in the country. It makes it further. It feels like that's not that doesn't happen with yes, us. Yes, yes. I'm talking about a, a Nigerian living in Nigeria. But then, this is a, the, the person I know is a Nigerian who doesn't live in Nigeria. Mm. So it makes it further, yeah. So it's as if therapy comes from close-knit friends, circles, and family. I think that was what I was receiving here every day. Because even as much as they were trying to take my mind off from what was happening, I found myself returning back there. And he would say something and say something and say something, and I'll be fine. And at night, I'll be unable to sleep. And he'll keep saying something. I thank him so much. So that was where I was, yeah, till till the time I felt I now needed to go home. How long did it take? Well, she died on 29th January, and I left Sunsoka that same day. Mm -hmm. In fact, the story you will hear from my village is that I ran away. That he was with his mother in the hospital. The mother died. He came back, packed his things, and ran away. And it was a sort of worry for everyone. They were just all concerned about my whereabouts. But I had to tell them where I was, and I'm fine. Yeah, so I, I was there February, and um, towards the end of February, I texted my brother that um, we have to go to the morgue and see her body again. She was in the morgue all that while? Yeah, my mother was buried in April. No, that's the thing. I also wanted yes. to ask you. I yes. think I've noticed... I have some Nigerians that I follow and I've noticed that the way how the burials are conducted, it's more like a big event because I've seen people go as far as finding fabric to wear the same clothes and uh, I've seen graphic work. You know how there is an event coming up and there is probably Cheta has a play that is going to be staged. And there's graphics designed. Yes. I've seen that. And I'm like, yes. what is going on? It really confuses me a lot. And when you mentioned that your father died in October and he was buried in December, now I'm hearing you talking about January. And then at the end of February, this is when you're talking to your brother saying that we have to go and see her again. Yeah. Is this dependent on a particular family or is this common practice? Well, um... There are many layers to that question. Mm. There are many layers to that question. Let's begin from the... Normally, in, in Catholic practice, um, the, the Catholic Archdiocese of Oweri, previously, you, you know, there was this, like, a, a serious instruction that when someone dies, it has to be, like, three weeks. And then people had issues with that. Three weeks, three weeks, and you now get the idea of relatives who are living abroad. Mm. 
they will need to be back. You then get the idea of um, all the processes that need to be kept to, before somebody dies. First of all, my people will go to my maternal home and then have the first visit and say, your daughter is sick. Okay. Yeah. We are here to inform you that your daughter is sick. Mm -hmm. And they will go back. And they will reschedule another visit a week or two later and say, we are here to tell you that that your sick daughter is dead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this is traditional practice. Uh, yeah, traditional practice. And are we looking at that as a, a God forbid moment that someone cannot just die abruptly? Because if someone has passed on already and then they have to go yeah. through these phases of announcing the sickness and then wait a, uh, a little longer and then later on go and pronounce the death of this person. I'm trying to understand yeah. what is the essence behind that? Well, um, the, the deceased is, is a child of the family. Mm -hmm. And the family needs to be aware of what is happening to, these, um, to their child. So now, even though she's married, all right, mm. she still belongs to where she comes from. And the family she comes from need to be aware of what is happening with her, all right? Mm -hmm. So when she's sick, they should know that she's sick. And the fact that you didn't come to tell them that she's sick, of course, they are aware. My, 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 my uncle was aware that she's sick. My uncle came to the hospital a day before my mother died, all right? She saw her in that condition when she was restated. But then it's beyond my uncle's knowledge to extend to the knowledge of the homeowner, the kinsman. Wow. Yes. So when my father's people come to my mother's people, the family will go and invite some of the close kinsmen and say, our in-laws are here. Come and join us. Let us know why they are here. And the in-laws now say, we are here to announce to you that your daughter, Adako, is sick. All right? By that already, in recent times, they know where it's leading to. But they will leave it at that. She's sick. Mm -hmm. But in the past... Is is not left at that. In the past, it's, it's, it must be that she's sick. And then they will now all come together to say, what can we do? All right? But recently, when you see a family coming to tell the other family that the person is sick, it's really just when a disruption has happened. So there needs to be that gap from she's sick to another gap of, you know, she's, she has passed on. All right? And then it's not something that just happens to, to the family of, of the woman. You also go to the family where the woman's first daughter is married into. Whoa. Of what is happening to our mother. Because marriage in Igbo culture brings all these families together. Yeah. They are now like one. So in being one, they all have to be aware. Then imagine I have, if, if I have more than one sister, the process will go on. But I have only one sister, so we have to do that. And also... On the village level, you also call the women and tell them, see what has happened. You also call the men and tell them, see what has happened. Mm. Right? Yeah. Call the youths and tell them, see what has happened. And these things are fixed on different levels. But with the Catholic instruction previously, you must make sure that all these are fixed within 25 days. Those who are going to come back, who need to schedule their tickets to come back, but from the time of COVID, there's now a change that happened mm -hmm. since 2020 when we know that there are COVID restrictions that can make relatives come back anytime they want. Mm. The church now had to understand that it's not going to be more difficult than it should. So 
it's possible it's possible now that the family should have that, their time in preparing for this funeral all right and um, my mother belonged to so many organizations she worked with the Imo state civil service commission she is a member of this meeting that meeting the leader of this meeting that meeting this is how it we passed across to them and also the constant the fact that we just buried our father in december and the idea that of course um this funeral has to be, you know, is something that you can't you can't run away from expenses in Igbo funeral. I'm telling you, my dear friend, Igbo funerals are very expensive. And I'm happy that people are speaking up right now. I'm not in that position to do more than I'm doing now, saying in this podcast. Mm-hmm. It needs to be reviewed. It needs to be reviewed. Because you will see people that, that are called Yomata. And this is like a, a popular story. When people uh, are funerals, it's happened that my brother goat. We want this, we want that. They will come to the morning of the funeral. They want to drink tea, yes, tea and bread. Then you bring a goat. They'll be looking at the size of the goat, you know. So a, a meeting group will come and say, "Why did you give us two cartons of malt? Why not three? No way. You know, you are yeah. grieving. So people, yeah. In fact. Most people are coming to see if this family, if they are even going to cook food that will be enough for everyone. And I'm, I'm, and I'm, and I'm still really sure that if you look back to our culture, things weren't like this. Some aspects of it have been manipulated in a way to achieve what we have today. Mm. It's more like, is it more like a competition, monetary-wise? Yes. Because I'm sure that when my grandmother died in 1995, I wasn't born yet. Then that it can't be this way. I have the story of how it happened and how she was buried. It doesn't sound like what we have today as funerals. Do you know that people in Igbo land go as far as selling their ancestral lands to get money to bury the dead? You are an African like me. I am, and you but know the value. We've not seen and you know and you know the value we give to lands, especially when they are ancestral. Exactly. So a family comes together and say, We have no money to do this. Let us go and sell that land to bury this person. It happens till today. To bury. To bury, yes. And then there is this Igbo, funny enough, there is this Igbo proverb that says, It means if a land is sold mm-hmm. to bury someone, two people were buried because the dead person, the deceased, and the land, they are now gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's just very funny that we... Familiar with this adage, this proverb, we, we go this length to make sure that um, we bury the dead. So it's a lot. Um, I was in a meeting where the funeral was planned. Mm-hmm. My father's funeral and my mother's funeral. And I wouldn't like to mention here how much was spent to bury them. It's a lot of money. Ndi Ibo, the Igbo people need to look into that. Because I know a story, a familiar story. It happened. A woman dies. And the children covered up the story of her death for one full year. What? And you know what they are doing? Whenever there is a meeting, but this story is, is inspiring a play I'm writing. I'm, I'm surprised I'm seeing it here. You know what they are doing? Whenever there is a village meeting happening, and they come and say, um, you know, the collectors, those who go house to house to collect the village um, meeting money. When they come to the woman's house, the children will say, our mother has gone to Lagos. How much is the money that you want to collect? They would pay for that woman. So they kept paying for their mother to show that she's still alive. And then it was at the end that somehow 
news went around that this woman has died since the last one year. Where were they keeping the body? In the morgue. And there are expenses that are incurred when the body is in the morgue? Of course, of course. The morgue, you have to pay 500 naira per day or so. Her okay, day. 500 naira in the federal, in the federal, in, in FMC Oweri, 500 naira per day. In Aladima Oweri, it is 300 naira per day. 300 naira is, um, is less than a dollar, but it's still a big money. Then, you know, they're not even, in fact, it's not even about the money that's being paid to the morgue, all right? It's about the money involved to plan a funeral. My point is that if the news did not go around, that woman could have been there for up to two years. The viral news made them say, yes, she has passed on since the last one year. Now, we are ready to bury her. What can we do? So this is the level. And now, it is not just a problem of, you have now told us your mother is dead. Mm-hmm. It's a problem of, you, your mother has been participating in our programs by your contributions, all right? So we have been eating with a dead person. So it's an abomination. So it goes to the point of, first of all, we have to wash our hands from this abomination before we bury your mother. So, I mean, you see that you are trying to prevent a problem and you are complicating it even more. So there was another event for washing themselves off the abomination? For cleansing. Yes, for cleansing. <laughs> wow. Because you know that <laughs> it's an abomination to have a communion with the dead. So when someone doesn't belong, the person doesn't belong. So, But when you act that the person belongs... And it is false. It's a, it's a great sacrilege. And I think even the cleansing, the effects, um, I mean, it has reduced in our time. If this happened in the past, of course, in the past, it wouldn't have happened in the past. Because in the past, you, you don't even have a mob that will enable you to keep a body for that long. The highest thing you would do is to put the body on a stretcher and go and inform the villagers. And before the next 24 hours, if never has happened, if it gets more than four hours, nobody can live in the village again because of the air pollution. So it wouldn't have happened in the past because it was a lot easier. People will come. In the past, people will come and help. People will be digging the grave. But these days, those who are digging the grave are expecting that you bring out some drink and some food for them. Any person playing a role is expecting something from you. So it's not coming from a place of support, but rather what can I earn in this funeral? Yes, yes. <laughs> exactly. Damn. It's a lot. And you sort of answered what I was going to ask you because I was going to ask you if the surroundings that you keep experiencing inspire you when it comes to your playwriting. You know, you, 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 you even missed out on your introduction. You just went, we just dived in the conversation. <laughs> Please, let's go back to that introduction. It's very important to me as a playwright. And um, I have a play which is coming out next month. Let me say it if you don't want to say it yourself. Homecoming. It won the Anna Prize for Drama in 2021. For those who are not familiar, the Anna Prize, the Association of Nigerian Prize, you know, is given for, for different categories. For, so last day, it won the Prize for Drama. Anna, I tried to explain Anna, is the Association of Nigerian Authors. Yeah. Yeah, so they have an association and they instituted a prize for different categories. And um, it's going to be released next month by Knowledge Publishing. Yeah. I think it's homecoming where Wola Shoyinka commented. No, Wola Shoyinka commented on. Which one was it that Wola Shoyinka? Oh, that was a film. That was a film directed and produced by the Nigerian writer and filmmaker Onye Kamwilwe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Onye Kamwilwe is a scholar, the African, the Institute of African Studies in Cambridge and Oxford. 
Yeah, so so there was this film he produced in 2018. Is um the the English title is Island of Happiness. I wrote the screenplay, uh, but the Igbo title is Agwe Tito Biyoto. It's still the it's still the Island of Happiness. Island of Happiness. So it was made into an Igbo, yeah, it was made like an Igbo film. So we have his private screening with Shoenka in his Lagos office. Yeah, it was a privilege to, to meet him. What was that like? How far I, back is this? When did this happen? 2018. 2018. Yeah, 2018. What did that feel like? In Lagos. This is a highly celebrated literature. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what did that I feel mean, like? Having an affirmation from this literary giant. Yeah, I mean, um, it was unexpected. Yeah, I thought that he was just going to see the film and then praise the filmmaker or praise the actors or maybe give his comment later. But making that comment about the film, I'm sure he, he wasn't just making a comment to just make everyone feel good. If you know Shoenka, he, he says things the way they are. He's, <laughs> if he's a bad story, he could have said it. <laughs> Very honest yeah. with his words. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he has no reason to lie to you. So he encouraged me to do more. Mm. I then wrote Homecoming the next year, 2019, and kept on working on it. And it was inspired by a distant relative who was coming back to Nigeria after 10 years. I was barely 12 years by the time she traveled and then 22 the time she was to return and i was the only one in lagos at the time and my family they were calling me on phone and said are you going to recognize her when you see her mm-hmm. no they were calling me they were calling me on phone and said this is her itinerary she will land at this time by this time you should have seen her but nobody was thinking of what i was thinking what were you thinking how will i recognize <laughs> i was thinking of will i be able to recognize this person <laughs> of course there's a social media factor you know this person posts her picture on Facebook. I post mine. She sees me. I see her. But is that enough? It's not. I, I can mean, assure you because the, I mean, the person I'm seeing yeah. right now is not what I've, I was seeing in the image. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that factor. So I was wondering what happens when a homecoming goes wrong. Mm. That's the idea that inspired the plot. Interesting. What happens when, when a homecoming goes wrong? So... I wrote the play on that. As a playwright, and, um, do you feel like you are constantly looking for inspirations around you, even when you're just having conversations with people? I don't consciously think of that, but when I see a story idea, I know. Oh, yeah. In fact, the challenge is to know what a great story idea is. Because, of course, there are a lot of things happening around you, mm. but not all of them <laughs> are enough to, to make a good story. Right. And of course, people say everything has been written on. So it means that if you have to write something new, you must add some spice to it. The idea must be must be great, you know. So I always um, try to ask myself, this now about to write, does it worth being written? Mm. Yeah. So that's a challenge. So if it was being written, how can it be delivered? All right. Are there stories that you ended up discarding? A lot. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. Before homecoming, I have I have written some other plays that are in my laptop. I have written some short stories in my laptop. There are I just leave them there. There are there are ones I have deleted that I don't want to see again. But what happened with homecoming is that um, I have this personal critique I give, I give to my works. But I have a friend who visited me in my house in Osaka because what I did after writing homecoming was I printed it and I said I want I want to read the physical copy. But after print, I kept it in my house. So a friend visited and um, and and found it. 
and read a couple of pages and then kept on reading and then finished and said, this is a great story. You have to think of staging this. <laughs> we laughed about it, but um, somehow I sent the script to a, a director in UNM. Oh, by the way, the, the friend who found the script in my house is still my great friend, Sage Leo, whose name I've mentioned before. Wow. <laughs> he, he, yeah, he's, yeah. He, he's indeed a saint, you know. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> oh, yes. He'll be blushing when he sees this part of the, this part of the conversation. <laughs> so I sent the script to a theater director, Ugochukwugu, who, and then I sent it to him to say, what do you think? It's not even about the idea of staging a play. What do you think about this story? Mm-hmm. And then he read the story and said, Jetta, I want to produce this play. I said, Haba. Haba means, Haba, Haba is a, Haba is a Colombian Nigerian word that means, um, how now? I mean, the kind of, you know, it hasn't gotten to the heart. <laughs> I'm just trying to ask for your opinion about this. Yeah. He said, no. He said, there's a story here and I'm ready to risk producing this. I said, no. Ooh. That was in 2019. Yeah, I said, Why? No. Why? What happened? <laughs> Do we do we I tap into in, imposter I, syndrome? I was in the university. I was a final year student, and you want to stage a play of a final year student, <laughs> which means people are going to come and see a play, and then if it doesn't go well, students, very honest students, they don't even hide their feelings. They will go, they will go to Twitter or Facebook or WhatsApp oh. and write about it. So I'm scared of the story not going well, and I refused. That was late 2019. Then 2020, we entered the COVID, and I started writing the play as a novel because I wanted it to be like, I mean, if it's a, if it's a bad story, if you are reading a bad story, you are just encountering a bad story. Mm-hmm. So this is what distinguishes um, drama and um, and the novel form. If you are reading a novel, you read a novel and you say, this is a bad novel. Right. You have your reasons. But if it's a theater production, the audience are there. They can quickly see, even you, the playwright, you will be able to know if your play is going well or not. Mm. But I didn't want to bring people to come and see a play that may not go well. It's too early for me in my career to experience backlashes, to experience reviews that, that will discourage me from further writing. So one day, while I was, you know, turning this, this, this project to a novel, I remembered something Chimamanda Adichie said at the Popo Habiscus workshop because I was lucky to be one of the 22 Africans selected for that program. Was it Africans or was it Nigerians? Africans. Is it? I thought there were only Nigerians there. For the, for the program? Mm-hmm. Where was it? The venue being Oka is the first time. We, um, before then, the program had been happening in Lagos. I think that was the 15th year of that program or the 14th, I'm not so sure. But... In all those years, it had been happening in Lagos. Mm-hmm. The program where she hosts writers for two weeks, and she she mentors them, teaches them herself. So is 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 the is the most sought after you know creative writing workshop in Africa. Yeah, but we had two people from different African countries that came. They were selected. So my point is that she said something about she said something in the workshop. She said a story teaches us how to tell them. Mm-hmm. So I now said, if this story idea came to me to be written as a play, why am I trying to force this to the novel form? That was the point I stopped doing that. Already, I had already developed developed about forty thousand words of that of the novel form. That was a lot. That's a lot. Yeah, during the pandemic, I was I was working <laughs> because there was no school, so I was not I was working turning that script to a novel. But at the point, I stopped and I said, I have to stick. You know, to this format of a play. Mm. 
Because I think also the problem is that there are no supports for playwrights. Part of the reason that made me to be turning this to a novel is because of the reception. In Nigeria, there are no supports for playwrights. Even in, 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 the, in the issue of uh, prizes, even the issue of publishing. If you have a novel, you have more opportunities for your work to be accepted by a traditionally publishing company than a play. You I, know, mean, I mean, even when I was asking them, for access of your different you know, documented playwrights, yeah. there was just only one that was existent. Yes, that's the problem. And these um, publishing companies, they will tell you in their website that we only want novels, not manuscript for novels and, and poetry. They will state it there. So you can't even come with a play. So it's a, it's a problem. And coming here in the U.S., I'm wondering why it's so. Because the theater here is thriving. You go to, if, you go, if you go one hour to a show here in my department, you won't get a ticket. It's sold off. And there are publishing companies ready to accept your works. Without yes. giving you a condition of either be... poetry or bringing up a novel. Exactly. So, but in Nigeria, it's just, it's just that way. They will say, no, we don't want plays. Right? So, how, how, say, how, well, how is, how is theatre received in Nigeria? Do you feel like the audience would be receptive of an experience in a theatre? Now, that is another thing. Mm-hmm. When I was a student, I just dress up and I go, and I go to see plays. All right? But when I get there, I realize that most of the students that are in the theater are students that have been told to write something about that play because of the course they are taking. Mm-hmm. So as if this course they are taking is what is bringing them to the theater, not just to experience a live performance. Right. And I still wonder why people would want you know things to be forced that way before they come. But then I will come to that. Something changed with homecoming. By the time I said I want to continue the writing of this story as a play, the way it is, and um, I, I, I called my director and I said, what did you say you are going to do with this script? He said, that I, want to, I want to produce it. And I said, how? <laughs> and then he kept on convincing me that there is a story here. And mm. I said, okay, 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 that's fine. See what you're going to do. Before I agree for you to produce this, let's have a small play reading. Get your actors I'll be present. I want to hear the actors read this. I want to know how it sounds. Mm-hmm. He said, that's fine. So in 2021, when we got back to school, the reading happened at the Department of Theatre. And I was just watching them, hearing the lines and all that. And I was so shocked at their responses. I mean, these actors, at, at this point, they are not saying it because um, they want to be nice to you. Mm-hmm. These are actors. Everyone involved in a theater production is taking a risk because if it doesn't go well, you know, people who are, who are in the same, you know, your colleagues, will, they will come for you. Right. If an actor agreeing to take part in a production that is not, that is not good, is a dangerous thing too. So they were, they, they, they were moved by the language. They were moved by the plot. They were moved by the climax. They were moved by the resolution. And they were just saying it in a way that made me feel, okay, we can, we can really try this. Yeah. The rehearsal started. And then, even as the rehearsal was happening, and I was attending, I felt I was still scared of it. Mm-hmm. All right? I was still scared whether it, it, will, it will go well. And then, the flyer was released. I saw students reposting the flyer. Everybody talking about it. Because it was, like, it's as, it's as if it was, it was going to be the first time a play written by a student is going to perform for a long time. I don't know how long it is, but... For the, since 2016, I have been the University of Nigeria. I haven't seen a play written by a student being performed. All right, 
in that scale. And then people were willing to support. When the ticket was printed, uh, the first day that we say ticket is out, I heard that 100 tickets have been sold. I said, 100? How? <laughs> Hundred? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean there is this good lecturer, Mr. Leo Ejesu, who was teaching a course, African grammar at that time. And he told the students, Look, if you really want to understand what is happening, I think you should see this play that is coming out. This is written by our students. Wow. Yeah. So I mean that was because he saw the flyer. And then because he was also convinced that maybe coming from me is going to be good. But then the fact that he endorsed this play made me more scared. Yeah. That when it doesn't go right again? Yeah. This is like bringing the students' attention to this production. That recommendation coming from somebody like him. Mm -hmm. Students trust his recommendation. It's coming from somebody like him. So, likely, students are going to be there to see this. Going to be there to know why this good lecturer is recommending this. And then, (laughs) (laughs) on the final day of the rehearsal, the last, the day before the production, was the day I was convinced that homecoming would go well. You know, that last day, the rehearsal happened as if we are seeing the play. Oh. Nobody's missing his or her lines. The music is there. The lightning is just happening like it should. Yeah. Did you sleep? After I play. Were you able to sleep? Sleep? <laughs> the night before the production? How? <laughs> How? I couldn't have slept. I was praying, let me now tell you. I was praying. I said, God, please, let this not be the end of my career. Because if it doesn't go well, students are going to talk. Mm. <laughs> students are going to talk because this is not a time when students don't... You, you know what is happening on social media. I do. If you come and say something, people are going to go to your comments. They are going to save their mind the way it is. Nobody cares. Mm-hmm. All right? So people are honest with their views. They are going to say it. If it's a bad play, they will say it. So I wasn't just ready to hear. The validation for me as a playwright isn't just the price I have received, right? It is the fact that I had a, I had this friend who came from Frankfurt, Germany. Right. She's not coming back for my play. She just came back for something else and heard that I was producing a play, that my play is going on stage. Mm-hmm. So while students were buying tickets outside and waiting for the directors to ask them to come in, I mean, the audience, I was with her outside. So she knew I was the playwright. She knew that the story is fiction. She sat beside me, but during the performance, she was weeping. And I said, what? And then after the performance, I was reading a lot of reviews people were writing online about the play. And I said, really? And then the next day, the theater was still filled up again. Because it was those who came the first day, went home and told people that, you need to go and see this play. So we saw that first day. We saw that second day. We saw that on the last day. I am not joking. So I'm grateful to the Maestro Theatre Company, Ugo Chukwugu, Leo Gwanyi, and all the cast and crew of that production. So the motivation made me to write other plays that I have. I have a play that was read here in Iowa on September 26th. It's titled Brother Brother. It was inspired by my personal losses. And um, it was read, you know, at the workshop here at the theater. So I also loved the responses. I mean, it was described as a huge mythic story. So I'm grateful for the little recognition the work is getting. And I, I look forward to having homecoming in the hands of people next month. Do you, yeah, you talked about the release. And I, yeah. Do I say I can't wait? 
Do you have a particular date that you have to wait for? 20th December. 20th December. Ooh, Christmas gifts, yeah? yeah? <laughs> Thank you. So having shared all this, uh, you talked about the losses and we're also experiencing your wins. How have you managed to take care of your mental health? How do you keep yourself afloat? Um, I think one of the good is leaving Nigeria because it took me away from that space. Mm. That space that brings back those dark memories. It's not as if the memories are all gone, but my current academic pursuit has kept me busy. I teach here and I also take classes. I'm only free during the weekends now. So the point is that I am now busy, unlike when I was in Nigeria. Because when I was in Nigeria, I was just done with school and I'm waiting for better days. <laughs> I'm waiting for better days. Yeah. And you know what it what comes with waiting? Mm. Waiting, waiting itself is a problem. And then when you have to combine waiting with um, with grief, is a tragedy. It's a tragedy. <laughs> yeah, it is. So being off from that space helped me. First of all, being off from the immediate space, leaving my home to go to Nsoka, where I was having, you know, uh, where I was receiving therapy. Let me put it that way. Right. Yeah. And then being out from the country completely and then being busy. But I noticed that when I came here, something was not happening to me. It was as if, Cheta, you can't run away from all this. You can't run away from all this. You being in Iowa doesn't keep you away from all this, from all the things in your head, mm. from all the things you have to think, no matter how much you try. You know, um, when I sleep, I see them and. <laughs> And it's, it's, it's not just not just you are dreaming and then you see that your, your parents are gone. It is in dreaming and you are seeing them alive. You are seeing them sitting in the family parlor, having their meal or discussing the 9 p.m. news or receiving visitors. Mm-hmm. So they are so much alive in my imagination. And sometimes it's as if I forget and I would want to pick up my phone to call my mom. And I would say, what? I can't call her again. Yes. So, because, um, you know, she would have loved uh, this moment. She would have loved um, the fact that I'm out of school and now quickly another program. And um, the fact that there is little progress. So, it's as if there is that gap here that is missing and sadly that can't be filled. So, it is a problem I face. And every day, something makes me to think about this. Every day, even this morning. So that is how bad it is. And what has grief taught me? It taught me to to reach out more. When I when I hear that someone has lost a loved one, I I won't just test you to say I said my sincere condolences. No, I will call you on phone and try to say things to you. If I can't reach you, I will write you a longer message, a very long message. I would and say and say things to you as someone who understands. Because in the past, you hear that someone has lost a loved one. You say, uh, may his soul rest in peace. It is not enough. Rest in peace. Are you sure this person has accepted the loss? Right. Accept my sincere condolences. Your condolences are not sincere, no. Mm. We are just saying those common words people say. It is well. No, it is not well. The person's heart is shattered. God will console you and your family. No. At that point, this person is not even thinking of God. 
Exactly. I'm sorry to say it. Mm, no, Jesus it's, is angry with it's God. a fact. You can't say yeah. you're sorry. Because at some point... It's I, a fact. Yeah. 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 At some point, I was angry myself. Because my mother died with her chaplet, her rosary, you know, on her arms. Mm. And the nurses removed it and then gave it to me. And I said, okay, why can't this save you? Her scapula that has the image of, of, of the person who with Mary was on her neck. Right. So I said, God, why can't you now save her? Why don't you look at these uh, sacramentals and say, I will pardon you. I will give you more years because of this. Because of the, 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 the way you served in the church. Mm. Because she was, the, she was the leader of the Catholic women organizations in my church. So why don't you save this person because of this person's history? So it's, it's, it's easy to be angry with God about all this. Right. So when you say all is well, it's not well. Mm-mm. When you say there is hope, as long as life there is hope, no, there is no hope. I feel like it's the, because some of those know, statements are dismissive of someone's experience of loss. I mean, last year I noticed and it made, I had never thought about the different layers of rest in peace until I wrote about a friend's death and someone said, may he rest in peace. And I didn't want him to rest. I was like, no, he's not supposed to rest. He's supposed to be here with me talking. I don't, don't tell me that he should be resting. And I had to switch off social media for (laughs) (laughs) some. I was like, no, he can't rest. He's not supposed to rest. We're supposed to be here talking and laughing. He's supposed to be bullying me, not resting. So I, it, it became a little, it, that space, being in that space made me aware that, yo, rest in peace doesn't do anything really. So it's, it's, it doesn't it, do anything. It does. It do, I really understand where you're coming from when you, when you ask a question of, has this person come to terms with this loss before you tell them all yes. is well, or there is hope, you know? Yeah. And somebody comes and says, oh, this is a huge loss. Why are you telling me it's a huge loss? I know it's a huge loss. Is that all you can say? Uh-huh. Somebody says, I know how you feel. No, you don't know how I feel. You don't know. May, may, may God grant you the fortitude to bear this irrepressible loss. No. If he, if, he, if he could grant me the fortitude, he could have also granted me the opportunity of keeping my loved one alive. Right. This must be a solid moment for you in, your, in my in your, I know already. Hold your heart. No, I can't hold my heart. I can't even touch it. <laughs> I know how this feels. No, my dear, you don't know. You don't. It's, it's well, brother. It is not well. It is not well. No. So, I mean, people say very, very senseless things when people lose their loved ones. Mm. So, but, but also, it comes from a place of not knowing what to say sometimes. It, it, beca- it becomes confusing. Yeah. You want to be because there for someone, that, but you don't know what to say. Yeah. I realize that while I received all these kind of messages when my father died, when my mother died, many people didn't call me because, in truth, they, ha- they don't know what to tell me. Because this last moment, you are calling someone to say, God knows the best and uh, God knows how to. And then you hear that this person has also lost the mother. You don't even know what to say again. Mm. With all your religious diabetes, you don't know what to say again. So I understand. What would you want the listener to walk away with at the end of the episode? At the end of this episode, I would want you to know that there is no one way to grieve. Um, you may have heard it before, but I'm saying it again to confirm that it's not a cliche. Mm-hmm. There is no, there is no one way to grieve. That when you meet it, you will find a way yourself. Mm-hmm. And also, 
maybe we should stop being scared of um, of things of things that haven't happened yet. Yeah, because I realized that um, the share of those things happening made so much damage to me. Maybe we should just live our life and not just think of um, of, of the dangerous paths that are going to come, the, the, the dangerous paths that are yet in the future. Let's learn to enjoy the moment. Whatever good you can do for anyone, do it right now. Because you wouldn't know what the next day would be. Mm. The idea of procrastinating love, I would, do, I would do this for you when you are at your 70th birthday. I would do that for you at your 80th birthday. My mother died at 61. So when she celebrated her 60th birthday, we celebrate her birthday every year. So if we are waiting for, for, for a golden, uh, not the golden this time, for that significant age to do something for her, we would have ended up not doing anything. So make every year count. Make every year count. Make every year count. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Cheta. I don't thank want, you so much. I don't want to make a mistake with the other name. Let me pronounce it and you correct no. it. No. Ibokwe. 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 Yeah. I wasn't so far. I wasn't so far. At least I didn't pronounce the G. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In Igbo alphabet, there is an alphabet, GB. It's part of the Igbo alphabet. Uh-huh. They are one. Yeah. Ibokwe. Yeah. Thank you so yeah. much for your time. I am most grateful. I hope this is a great way to start your day. Oh, it is. I'm, I'm happy now that, you know, I have completed this with you because I've been thinking all night how it's going to turn out. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you feel? Yeah. No, I feel, I feel good. I feel I, I'm more happy that it's conversational. I'm also happy that um, I, didn't, I didn't have to know your questions before I answered them. Yeah, so it's as if I'm just having a conversation with a friend and it's happening. Exactly. It doesn't sound like it doesn't sound like an academic interview. <laughs> yeah, I have to do Shakespeare and Aristotle and all that. No, 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 no. And it's good I came without my hat, so it makes me feel feel naked. That's the way. That's why I'm saying th- that is why I'm saying things freely. So I'm I'm really grateful for the conversation. Thank you so much for showing up for it. People need to know I am that she woke up at six for this, and I'm like. <laughs> 6 a.m. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, Cheta. Have a great day ahead of you. And you too. I'm most grateful. Namaste. All right. <laughs> Dalo. Dalo. <laughs> my takeaway from this episode is Ooh, (laughs) I have to equip myself with better tools of reaching out to more people. So thank you so much, Cheta, for sharing your insights and your vulnerability. It's very important for us to get to learn from your experiences. And I really honor you for giving us that. Like you already know, this is the very last episode of the podcast. And I've been struggling with how to move forward. Do I just walk away (laughs) and abandon you or do I just take a rest and breathe? But I know for a fact that I can take a rest while doing the journals. So I'm going to be continuing with the journals and I intend to also come forward with some people that have been present on the podcast, I think. So if you have some guests that you want to listen to, especially about how 2022 has been for them, just hit me up, 
send me name suggestions and I'll be ready to call them up so that we can have moments of laughter and yeah it won't be so long like episodes just you know catching up with the year and wrapping it up thank you so much for tuning into another episode of hashtag with navguzi if you love what you heard make sure you subscribe to hashtag with navguzi in your podcast platform of choice and share it with your friends loved ones and everyone that you believe is affected by the millennial world around us also feel free to share your insights about what connected with you on social media and be sure to tag us we are at hashtag with navguzi on facebook and instagram and on twitter our handle is at htnk podcast catch you whenever i can and until then until you get to hear my voice again reach out more